This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Ebron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Wayne Chang. And we have a new co-host joining us on the show. Uh, she's created several works available on DMs Guild, such as Archetypes of Eberron, 31 Subclasses, Codex Sybaris 1 and 2, among others. And she's contributed to many other products and series, including the Convergence Manifesto series of adventures. Please join me in welcoming Imogen Gingel. Did I pronounce that right? That's perfect. This. Great. <laughs> that would be really bad if you pronounced that I should have asked that before I hit record. <laughs> Oh, Excellent. thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. So uh, thank you for joining the show. Um, yeah, it's it's great. So. Imogen, you want to tell us a little about yourself and, and tell our listeners a little about yourself before we uh, we get jumped into today's topic? Sure. Um, ooh, let's start. Um, well, as Christian said, I've been, uh, well, is prolific the word? I don't know. That's probably a bit <laughs> big-headed. But I've uh, written a few... Um, uh, adventures for the, for the Across Eberron series. Um, I mean, I've been in, immersed in Eberron, I suppose, for, well, since the setting has been around, um, working my way here and there between all the different kinds of, uh, internet message boards or Discord or anything. So you may have seen me around there. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, I've, I've been writing adventures. I've been making subclasses and, What's your what's your favorite piece of the setting? Ooh, good question. Um, I think that would have to be uh, Riedra and Salona. Um, yes, I just I, I <laughs> love that kind of dystopian um, uh, that that dystopian stuff. It's um, I don't know. In the quarry, are just very cool. Um, I love yeah. dreams. Exactly. And you have to, you have to like them because if, if you don't, they'll, they'll make you. That's right. Indeed. Exactly. Indeed. Well, well th- thank you for joining us and yeah. we're really excited to have you be on the show. And, and uh, I think, yeah, I think others are going to be excited to hear you as well. Listeners so. don't know that we, uh, we quizzed, we quizzed Imogen, you know, earlier, so she's a little flustered with with all the quizzing. It, it, it's it's Keith's fault. We blame him. It's perfectly fine. You know. <laughs> well, you know, that's because any host that comes on the show. I recall when you started, Wayne, episode one, but still, there was like three hours of like intensive quizzing. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I mean, so man, much so that he lost his voice. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> oh, yeah. intense for like three episodes. <laughs> right. You see, I'm learning by having a glass of water next to me. So there you go. When I get nervous. And, uh... <laughs> All right. So uh, shall we get into it then? Yes. All right. So yeah. in this episode, we're bringing on our new co-host, heading west into the enchanted wilds of the Eldune Reaches. And uh, there's not a whole lot, uh, as many of our topics, there's not a whole lot uh, covered about this particular region. Um, but Keith, you do have uh, an article, a Dragonmark article, I believe, on your website. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's in there and what people can find? Uh, well, there's a couple. I mean, uh, there's. it's hard to find something I haven't written a Dragonmark article about uh, at this point. But um, one thing to look at is an article I have on Druids of Eberron, and that talks about the uh, Druidic sects of the um, Eldian Reaches, which are one of the most common ways people encounter them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Catching Up with the Eldian just sort of gives, again, a little bit of an overview of what the 
the place is. Um, what I will say is that the Reaches originally uh, emerged in uh, from the concept of when we were creating the setting. You know, when I was creating the setting in the very original story Bible, it was taking that idea that Eberron is a place where magic ends up being used as the sort of foundation of civilizations. Uh, you know, how does magic become a tool? In uh, the Five Nations, it's mainly arcane magic. In Riedra, it is mainly psionics. Part of the point was saying, well, what do you get when druidic magic is the foundation of a culture? Uh, ultimately, it was sort of scaled back from that. You know, in the very first pass of the setting, it was much more this this concrete, well-established uh, civilization. And where it's actually come in the final setting is where you have this these two split regions. Uh, the deep woods, the towering wood, uh, is this vast primeval region, which is where the druids roam. But then what is now largely seen as the Eldine Reaches really is this region of farmland that used to be part of Ondair. Mm -hmm. And this is where it seceded, and we can talk about that, uh, but that the people are adopting Druidic customs. And to me, that's where you have this evolving culture, because it's only been around for a few decades, where it has roads, it has cities, it even has dragon-marked houses, but the people are adapting to using druidic magic as the primary tool that defines their culture. So in your opinion, what, uh, what is driving that adoption of druidic magic? Is it, is it a necessity? Is it a change in sort of worldview now that they're independent of Ondare? A combination of those factors? It's a combination of those factors. So, you know, basically the whole idea is that this is a fertile farm region that seceded from Ondare essentially because, uh, Ondare was ignoring it. It was leaving it. It was having trouble with bandits. Uh, it was essentially being attacked by other nations. And, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the people just basically, you know, the rulers were much more concerned with the battles going on to the east. And ultimately the wardens of the wood, uh, were helping the people. And this just led to a movement of, well, forget it. Why are we supporting, uh, you know, these nobles? Why don't we just join with the, you know, with the wood? Mm -hmm. uh, from that point going forward, it's a combination of the idea that they're turning their back on what they've left behind, but also that these are valuable tools. That if you are farming, that the druids have a great deal to offer. That it's how can we, if we can control weather, if we can grow crops with spells like plant growth, you know, it's this sort of discovering, uh, exactly the potential of, uh, of what this has to offer. Right. So, you know, we have the context that, uh, the Eldine Reaches seceded from Ondare, and we did cover an episode on the Treaty of Thronehold and the signing of the Treaty of Thronehold. And one of the questions that we actually had from the community, and I wonder this as well, is, you know, with the, especially with the newer nations, it's a little ambiguous on who signed for each of these different nations um, or how they presented themselves. And with the Eldine Reaches, 
in theory, we have like this giant tree <laughs> um, that's immobile, and because uh, he's not a treant, doesn't walk around. Um, so how how is that managed? You know, is there somebody that did that by pro- you know as a proxy or you know what do you what are yeah. your yeah? Um, I, one of the things that I, th- I think is, is called out much more strongly in some of the older edition uh, materials is that. Um, Awalian is there as a, as a spiritual leader, but the, um, sort of the, the day-to-day handling of the, the Eldian reaches is, is sort of, um, as an authority is, is, uh, falls to the wardens of the wood, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, they, they, they can have their community representatives and so on. Um, but they have, uh, uh, sort of a, a nominal leader in, in Fena Greymorn. Who is discussed in, of, well, very briefly in the, the, the player's guide to Eberron from, from 3.5. Mm. Um, and it makes the point in there that she is the one who busies herself with the, the hands-on work of governing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's the one who was kind of, uh, pushing the political side of the, um, secession from on there. Um, and so I think it makes sense that, that she's the one that, um, represents the Eldian Reaches at, throne holds when when they right. uh they're called sign the accords mm-hmm. um maybe that's not as fun as a as, you know a 200 foot tall tree turning up to a castle but um in my eberron yeah. <laughs> no, and, and it's certainly fun to be like and uh, they could have a, a warg or you know a giant bear or any number of things i'm, but, I'm just thinking you know you know, plant stride, I think it's the word, plant, tree stride, mm-hmm. you know, 10 foot tree to another 10 foot tree. So it's a 200 foot tree that goes through a 10 foot tree to teleport well, to it. <laughs> yeah. And, and part of Oalien too is, is the idea of Oalien when we first created it, uh, was very much following the principle that Eberron is not supposed to have powerful champions of good that can solve the world's problems. And that with Jayla Darren, she's, you know, an 18th level cleric in Flamekeep, but she can't leave Flamekeep without losing her powers. Right. The idea of Oalium was the same thing, that he is supposed to be a, a 20th level, you know, druid equivalent, but can't leave the Greenheart. And that whether, you know, set aside its age, set aside that, okay, we say awaken, it's not necessarily that exact spell. Uh, but also just the point that the green heart itself may be sustaining Oalian. Mm-hmm. And so you could come up with crazy ways it could do it. I personally would imagine, uh, you know, uh, Faina having like a staff that is like a, a twig from Oalian or something like that, <laughs> that she uses to, to commune with him. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, but Imogen totally hit the main point, which is the, the, Eldian Reaches are not as organized as many other nations. They are still sort of figuring things out, but the Wardens of the Wood are very much the unifying foundation that holds it all together. They have guides that work with each village. They are the militia, uh, you know, essentially, effectively, the army of the region. Uh, and, and so they are essentially the Reaches. Uh, but you do have all these separate little factions that are off kind of doing their own thing. Wayne? Well, I was just saying, I mean, one of the things that we've never considered um, is that sort of government. Obviously, the mm-hmm. wardens are not mm-hmm. what we consider uh, a, 
a, a traditional government, but it, it creates a sort of different, I guess, a different feel. Mm-hmm. And especially with the sort of two communities, which we'll talk about a little later uh, in the GM section. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's let's talk more about this, though, as far as like, these Druid-led communities. You know, like, mm-hmm. we do have the Wardens of the Woods. Let's dive into that some. Well, part of what I I jump into uh, is is just again the point that it's not supposed to be that everyone who works with the wardens or any of the druid sects uh, is actually you know is necessarily a spellcaster any more than every priest you know or at least mm-hmm. is a druid any more than any uh, every priest is a cleric. Uh, there are supposed to be initiates. There are supposed to be, you know, some wardens of the wood are rangers. Some wardens of the wood are druids. Some are just skilled hunters. Uh, certainly we've suggested the idea of what I have in the past called gleaners, which are mm-hmm. essentially the druidic equivalent of mage rites or adepts, people who use a little bit of druidic magic, uh, but aren't full druids, can't necessarily wild shape. You could also have people who can wild shape, but have no other druidic magic. You know, again, bear in mind that with NPCs, you shouldn't be as limited uh, as things. Wayne? I mean, just uh, going with that, I know we mentioned, I know in EX, in Exploring Everyone, we mentioned a couple of those different types of mage rites, different types of, of kind of cantrip casters and whatnot. Um, and I think one of the things, one of the questions I had was basically, you know, we talk a lot of times about the the priests, not clerics, sorry, the priests in Eberron are not necessarily clerics. Mm-hmm. Is that, do you feel like that's the same case here? Where is that? We use the word druid, and we yep. obviously associate yep. the word druid with this class. But where we're kind of doubling up on this is that are these druids also, let's, as you use the word gleaner, mm-hmm. um, or um, or are they are they actually druids or are they actually spellcasters here? You know, well, this, I, is, I, this is certainly a point when we talk to about the other sects, like when we talk about. Uh, um, when we talk about, say, the Ashbound, and a lot of the Ashbound, uh, first off, can include, um, you know, rangers or barbarians, we call out with the Ashbound, as well as druids. Um, yet at the same time, there can be people who don't fall into any of those classes, you know, just the way that, again, technically in fifth edition, most NPCs don't have classes as such. And uh, so you can be an Ashbound without being a Druid. Uh, it's just that you believe in their creed. You know, they're basically religions. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I, thinking on that point of, um, well, we're, we're talking about the Ashbound now here. Um, <laughs> and um, it occurs to me that, uh, you know, it's very easy to talk about uh, what the Ashbound are or what the Children of Winter are or what the, the Gatekeeps are. Um, I feel like, you know, each of those three factions and some of the, of the more niche ones like the Moonspeakers and such have a very clear um, sort of theme. Um, it's very easy as, as, as both a, a player and a GM to sort of signpost something clear and say, this is what makes this faction cool. Um, and I felt sometimes that the, the Wardens of the Wood um, sort of drift, of, well, 
maybe don't quite hit the mark as in terms of, yes, I, I definitely want to do this. I definitely want to feature this faction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wonder about how you can take the wardens of the wood as the, the, the kind of the quote unquote generic, uh, druid or, you know, leader in mm-hmm. the Eldine reaches and, and how you can push that theme to something that, uh, players and GMs are excited to, to see turn up at the table. Um, cause I think about, say, they have this theme of that they want to protect the people in the woods. Mm-hmm. They want to, uh, um, defend against the aberrations and so on, which is also sort of covered by gatekeepers. Um, so I, I wonder if, if anyone has any thoughts about how to sort of bring out that, that, that shine, if you know what I mean. Christian? Yeah, so I, I think there's some opportunity with just, you know, we, we, the Wardens of the Wood are sort of like the, um, they're, they're the protectors and the enforcers in a sort of, um, you know, military type of style, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. And I could see, for example, an entire, like maybe a, um, like either as patrons or, or that's just the, the, the sort of theme of the party as being members or serving with, um, the wardens of the wood. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to point to, uh, <laughs> somebody drink because I'm going to mention Savage Worlds. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to point to a Savage Worlds setting called Shine Tar where that is actually the template for the party. They are yeah. a member of these rangers of, the, of this, of this group. And they, they could be whatever classes, so to speak. There's, there's no classes in Savage Worlds, but they could be whatever they want to be, but they're still part of that group and they're adventuring as part of that group. So I could see no, something to that effect. I, I absolutely agree. I think that of, all the sects, the possible exception of the gatekeepers, uh, they are the most, you know, they are in many ways the easiest to use as a group patron, uh, because mm-hmm. they are working, you know, unitely for the greater good. The Ashbound, the Children of Winter, uh, the Green Singers are all either more zealous or sort of more off on their own weird, crazy kick. Uh, whereas the Wardens essentially the closest analogy to me is the church of the silver flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I think you brought up, you know, imaging, you were saying, Oh, but the gatekeepers are kind of protectors. And I would argue that the gatekeepers are more explicitly protecting us from extra planar threats yeah. mm. and, and specifically aberrations. Sure. Uh, but the wardens, the sort of original idea of them in the first place was protecting people from the wild and wild from people and that they are trying they're very much the other example would be the edgewalkers of redra is they are trying to walk that line in the middle and move between the two cultures so part of it is one of the things that's good about them is sometimes druids especially druids like the ashbound are seen as willfully isolating themselves from civilization as civilization being the enemy and the point of the wardens is they aren't. They are saying civilization has a place in the world. The wild has a place in the world. We are here to be the uniting, you know, the unifying factor to walk between these two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you do highlight what you've already said, that they are the government of the Eldine Reaches. They are mm-hmm. the military. They are protecting the people. Uh, they are the largest organization. They are the organization that are the personal sort of hands of, uh, of Oelian, you know, and that they're trying to unite 
all these other, and when I say unite, they don't want the Ashbound or the Children of Winter to stop believing what they believe, but it's the Wardens of the Wood that keep them from fighting each other or, you know, harming people. Wayne? Mm -hmm. Well, kind of just moving through that, let's talk, a, I feel like we need to talk a little bit about the Elden Regis in itself, because... Mm -hmm. We're talking about, oh, people don't want to fight and the dangers and whatnot, but we haven't actually talked about that. We haven't actually said, you know, what what is, why does this, other than the fact that there's a big war, why does this country even need a militia? Mm -hmm. It is uh, a very good point uh, that, I mean, one of the things, and this is, this is a thing I bring up a lot with the Church of the Silver Flame that I just have to highlight because it is the same point here. Uh, a lot of the times the Church of the Silver Flame is seen as, oh, it's this, this, you know, cruel witch hunty sort of group. And one has to remember that Eberron is a world that has a lot of very real threats that mm -hmm. we do not face. And where demons and undead and aberrations are a very real thing that could show up. And the fact that there's a group of people who are dedicated to jumping in front of them if they do is something that is important to people. And that is where the wardens come in. Uh, the point is, it's true, the towering wood in particular is a vast region of, you know, dense jungle, essentially, uh, that is very dangerous. Um, one of the things that we've called out is in the earliest ages of the world, it was the domain of an overlord known as the Wild Heart, which has been called out as creating gnolls and possibly creating lycanthropes. Uh, you know, it notes that once upon a time, the wood was home to orc druids. It was potentially an orc druid who awoke a alien, uh, but that actually the orcs of the, uh, the towering wood were largely wiped out. Uh, during the war against the Dalkir. And if you look at the stats today, only like 3% of the humanoid population of the woods is, uh, is orcish. And so it is a region. Um, the earlier books have said that the towering wood was thought to be haunted and filled with monsters and demons. And that's because it is filled with monsters and demons. And that one reason it is not you know, sort of densely inhabited is because there's a lot of scary things there. And mm -hmm. that is an important uh, sort of use for it for game masters and players as we'll go is this is this sort of still wild, untamed realm. Uh, last thing I'll say on that is just this point that I said before that the wild heart may have been the source of lycanthropy. Another thought is that during the uh, corruptor, may have been the force of uh, source of lycanthropy. And part of the point is it could be either because both of them are active within the towering wood. You know, that there is a lot of ancient powerful evil uh, at work out in the region, not to mention one of the largest known manifest zones to Mabar, which is called the region called the Gloaming. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's, I'm thinking about like, like, yeah, I mean, the, the towering woods there. Yeah. It's this vast swath of just dangerous threats and that, you know, that we need protecting from, you know, and, um, you know, uh, uh yeah, having, <laughs> having a, 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 an organization that's just looking out that, that is like you said, like the edge walkers, you know, that's mm -hmm. sort of like being that, that uh, that protective buffer 
you know, from that threat. Uh, I think that, you know, that is a very crucial role. And, and going back to the point about like, you know, what makes that interesting? Like that's, that's a great campaign concept. Right. You know, is it is, it is definitely the place where there can easily be ancient threats or, uh, you know, sort of dark things that have never been discovered. One of the the points I'll quickly make, uh, is that before coming to Droam, Sora, uh, yeah, Sora Minya was, haunted the the towering wood she roamed the towering wood and was known as the legendary sort of you know uh frightening force in the woods and her lair is still out there you know but it is certainly a realm of monsters imogen do you have some yeah well i was just thinking um that you can really the elding reaches have that kind of range where you can really pull it back if you want to so there's mm-hmm. a lot of um ancient evil in there uh, you know the, the wild heart and dern and so on um but you can really kind of very easily focus it more local focus it on more mm-hmm. mundane in inverted commas um and you could have uh, a low-level adventure focused around a hunt of a particularly large dire animal or mm-hmm. you could uh or maybe a pack of wolves is uh, is harrying a village, um, and I think it's a great place to to set that sort of mm-hmm. lower stakes stuff as well, if you if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. Wayne, I've always I've always uh, this is me personally again. I've always thought of the Elden Reaches as sort of this calm place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just because I, I've never really read, I've never really read too deeply into it, even in, in the ECS case. Mm-hmm. I, it, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't interesting, um, on the surface. There was so much stuff to, to, to dig into El- Eberron. And I always thought of the Elden Reaches as, it's this safe, nice mm-hmm. place. They've got a <laughs> giant 20th level druid who towers 300 feet in the air that sort of watches over everything. He's sitting in the forest and, you know, right. it's all butterflies around and, or whatnot. Yeah. And they've got all <laughs> these, they've got these druids everywhere. Like that was really the thought. And, and, you know, obviously hearing Keith talk about <laughs> it and, and reading a little bit more, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. And right. I think, if we're kind of looking, let's look at it from a GM's perspective and going, okay. Yeah. I, I, I Imogen started just like, there is stuff to go on. There's, there are enemies here. There are local, there's, there's smaller threats. Those are like the smaller, you know, this wild beast, this wild animal is threatening the village. There's also stuff that Keith said is like, we've got, you know, Sora, uh, Mania, mm-hmm. maybe her leftover stuff is here. There's, there's, uh, lycanthropes. There's all these things that are in there. And obviously, there's, there's dangers all over, but it's not the sort of, you know, it's not the little safe place. And obviously, when when I <clears throat> I'm looking at it, I'm trying to look at it from the new viewers, uh, new readers' perspectives, and saying, well, I got a page on this stuff. What, <laughs> what am I? What am I? What am I supposed yeah. to do? What do here? I do with this? Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I I think that is a good point of of just you know let's get into. So you're a DM. What are you doing then? I think uh, Imogen. Yeah. You know, you started with that excellent point of, again, if you were going to start the campaign that is group patron with the wardens, the first thing you are going to be dealing with are those kind of problems. One of the things we call out is in addition to other things, uh, the towering wood is close to Lamania, which is one reason it's the towering wood. Uh, and so the point is you are going to get dire animals, things like that. Some of which are just, uh, you know, they're just out there and some of which are going to stumble in from Lamania and 
not necessarily mean any harm, but when you're a Godzilla-sized wolf, you know, uh, that's a problem for people. And right. and so, again, at the start, you can have adventures that are just, oh, we've got to deal with this dire beast. And part of the question is, does that mean kill it? Does that mean there's something that's causing it to be aggressive? Uh, you can also have issues between factions like the Children of the Wood uh, at a local group where it could simply be this is a problem we can solve diplomatically uh, or a conflict between two villages. So there's you know low-level stuff you can do like that. But as you go further, uh, we call out the fact that there are a significant number of manifest zones to Thelanus. Uh, the largest of them is the Twilight Domain, and that is one of the largest no. manifest zones to Thelanus in the setting. Uh, but there's also just some scattered around throughout the woods. And so the woods are a great place to find Fae and a great place through which to accidentally stumble into Thelanus if you want. But this is where we have a whole druidic sect, the Greensingers, who they again... They are to Thelanus as the Wardens of the Wood are between civilization and the wild. They are trying to serve as the sort of ambassadors keeping the Fey from harming others and the others from harming the Fey. Uh, but basically, it's an easy way to work in fairy tale storylines. If you don't want to go all the way to dragging people into Thelanus, you can still have active Fey along the borders of the, uh, the Elding Reaches or go all the way to the Twilight Domain and bring in one of the Fey Spires if you want to right. do that. Imogen, did you have other thoughts on that? Or? Um, I, I, well, <laughs> if only to say that I, th I think there's a, there's a lot you can do with, faint in general mm -hmm. and I, I think that's a great source of um a kind of a different kind of tone as well as a different kind of adventure yeah sort of level so you could hit something a little bit more uh, whimsical or, or mischievous if say mm -hmm. your players mm -hmm. in your Eldine campaign are, are kind of a bit burned out on um <laughs> you know existential threats um so a kind of, I don't know, a, a vacation to the Twilight Domain. Um, sounds like a terrible plan, but <laughs> no, no, and <laughs> maybe I, and there's I some fun there. Yeah. yeah, and I completely agree that, that it's just a place where, again, you can have a few isolated, lighter stories. Christian? Yeah. You know, something um, I'm, I've noticed a little bit of a pattern in all the different regions that we've talked about. And we've talked about that how some of these regions do have like very potent manifest zones associated with them. Mm -hmm. And it's something it's like, I knew it in the back of my mind, but as we talk, as we've done these recordings and we've talked about these regions, it's become more crystallized. And so here we are talking about, um, you know, Lamont, Lamania and, uh, you know, Thalanus in the Eldine reaches and just that alone, there's so much opportunity with just those, with just one of those, let alone having two in this region and how, how they can influence story and the campaign and whatnot. Well, and that's a big point of that normally manifest zones are these sort of little, oh, they can pop up anywhere. The Elting Reaches is one of the places, along with Aeronol, where we really call out there are massive zones that have a dramatic effect. Uh, because one of the other ones, again, we've only mentioned slightly, is the Gloaming. And the mm -hmm. Gloaming is a massive manifest zone to Mabar. And that is going to produce undead. It's going to produce, you know, other yeah. sort of forms of darkness. And so that, again, if you're 
uh, Wardens of the Woods sent to patrol uh, the gloaming. You know, you can deal with all kinds of malefic uh, right, spirits right. and entities. And now you have that dire wolf again, but it's it's now an undead dire wolf. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, essentially you want to slip a little of your Game of Thrones action in there. It's coming from the gloaming. Uh, and add to that, you then have, again, demons. You have the wild heart. And frankly, with the size of the towering wood, you could have more if you wanted uh, we've called out before that this is where you're going to get your sort of classic savage gnolls, uh, because they are just driven by the wild heart as opposed to this near pact of, of Joam, where they have put that influence behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have cults, you know, a shifter tribe that has been sort of taken over by the demonic spirit. Um, or some other tribe doesn't have to be shifters, but my point is that they're out there. No one knows how many there are. No one's going to notice if they sort of turn towards the, you know, the darkness until, uh, it comes out. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for the Dalkir. We've mentioned Dern. Uh, we've talked in the book about Avash, the Twister of Roots. Well, Twister of Roots, you know, they're out there in, uh, you know, they're out there in the the heart of the Eldine Reaches. And so all of those are supposed to be ways that you can find sort of major sort of threats or sources of strangeness out there, in addition to just the conflicts and uh, interactions between the druids themselves. Yeah, and, you know, we have all these threats, and we still have this this massive tree that's super powerful, but... Yeah, yeah, there's some limitation there too, right? Like, so that's, that's, I think that's something else people sometimes try to reconcile is, you know, well, we have this super powerful ally, but yeah, but he's kind of stuck in one spot, you know? Well, and, and this is, as I said, it's the same idea as Jayla Darren of what we wanted is this is a super powerful ally, but they're a destination. Yeah. If you want their help, you have to go into the heart of the reaches, which as we've said is a dangerous place. And, uh, and yet the point is that it is there, right. you know, but that becomes an adventure is we're going to, we need to seek out the help of the great Druid. They can't just tree stride over to you. Right. Right. So in that case, it's a, it's more of a plot device than a, a tool like, or mm-hmm. like a, a player tool, I guess. So, so, you know, we also have on dare as a possible right. source yeah. of conflict. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, let's let's talk a little, just a little bit about that, and then we got to dive into for players as well. Um, you know, we have on dare that they did secede from on dare. Uh, what is that tension like now, and 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 how much you know is there to explore there? Well, to me, it's 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 a couple of different points. It is both the idea that on dare strongly wants the region back, uh, but they aren't prepared uh, to you know, again, basically go back to war. Uh, and of course, since it's been recognized as a thronehold nation, doing that mm-hmm. violates the Treaty of Thronehold. Right. Uh, so they're sort of held at bay, but they're not happy about the situation. Meanwhile, the whole point is uh, the Eldine Reaches themselves are still trying to sort out, you know, what it means to be a nation. Uh, so you certainly undoubtedly could have a plot line involving Ondarian, um, you know, essentially saboteurs. You know, that's not quite the word I'm looking for, but people coming in and trying to instigate, uh, you know, disrupt the reaches right. and, uh, 
stir people up, you have got to have folks like House Vidalis is still based in the reaches and they're sort of riding this out. But, you know, there's some interesting points there of them trying to find a line of what does it mean to operate here? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the short answer is especially it's only been recognized. The treaty was only two years ago. Uh, the war's only been over for four that uh, they are still trying to figure out what this all means. And there's a lot of room you can have for disruptions or tensions or, you know, what happens when a faction within the reaches does say, no, we we actually want to go back to Undare. You know, that's something you could explore. Wayne? I think it's interesting. We, we've we've gone through this and we've listed, you know, overlords, Delkir, Manifest <laughs> Zones, Druidic sects, all these evil things. But we and want more. The, <laughs> and more. And then all of a sudden we're going, well, by the way, your country was owned by somebody else before and they want it back. And they got an army that's itching to do it. And that army is much larger than the Warden of the Woods. So it's kind of a... I, I, this is one of the things I really love about Ebron. It's there's this bad thing. There's this bad thing. There's this one thing that can be good. There's the one tree that can stop them all, but he can't move. And he's he's a tree. And all of a sudden, you've got you know evil, 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 evil. And then there's a human society back there that says, you know what? This is our breadbasket. You guys grew all our food. Um, this is part of our country. You know, half your nation is our, our citizens and probably still thinks that uh, we want them back. So which one would you like to deal with? And as a, as a DM, you're going, well, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a lot of choice, obviously. Um, but it's one of the f- really fun things uh, about this region is one of the things that's one of the only things I kind of caught on was like, I really love that tension. Um, that really, that, that tension there where it's sort of like you're a split nation. And someone, something's got to give. You know, here's that tension there. So I think that's a really good segue into the player section of the show where, you know, you're talking about, Wayne, the, um, yeah, that, that conflict with Ondaire and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I also sort of see it similar to, like, say, the American Revolution, for example, mm-hmm. where you did have people who were still loyal to yeah. the crown, right? And I can see some of that also playing out for reachers, right? Oh yeah. I say, you know, um, so I think that's, you know, that's a, that could be a really fun angle for, you know, for players. If, if they're coming, if their character is coming from that region, then, you know, how do they, um, you know, what's their view on that? Do they, do they feel like they would have been better off remaining part of on or are they very much like, no, we want independence. We want to do our own thing, you know? And and a, a weird, you know, sort of flip side to that is is it's also you could play a character who's from Andere, who actually their parents were from the Reaches and left when it mm. became the Reaches. And like you theoretically have a big family estate over there. But dang it, you know, it's being squatted on by all these Druids. And uh, so, it's, you know, same either way. You could be a Reacher who wishes it would uh, become Andare again, or you could be an Andarian who basically feels you have a claim mm-hmm. uh, to land or uh, estates within the reaches. Right. Imogen? Yeah, I was just thinking um, while we're on this, this, this sort of subject of these, the eastern part of the reaches especially, um, and how to align your, your, your player characters, um, there's a sort of uh, 
I suppose, a, a key, you know, left or right, you could be pulled <clears> as a player between, say, the Wardens of the Woods and uh, the, the, the sort of regional power in that in that eastern region mm. in House Vidalis. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so House Vidalis, I suppose, has, has, has a much more sort of Ondarian-looking um, agenda, um, given its ties into the royalty and so on there. Um, so you might decide that, that, that your Eldine Reach's character doesn't care for the, the, the laws of the Wardens of the Wood or for Ondar, even if mm-hmm. you even want to push that far. You could say, I'm a, you know, Hospitalis provides the work, they provide the, the stables, the lodgings, and so on. Why should I care about anyone other than? you know, who's handing out the gold, um, yep. as it were. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and I think that's a very interesting point um, when you consider uh, the – it's sort of not unlike uh, Lirindar and Valinar, uh, that to a certain degree, Vidalis may look at this as – we we don't really see these druids as as a nation as such, but we have this region where we're going to sort of get to operate without, uh, you know, sort of another nation, uh, pushing over us, and uh, and I'm sure that Vidalis is very interested in the potential of druidic magic, mm-hmm. and how it could be used for those purposes. It's just on the other hand, the druids aren't necessarily thrilled about them. Right. Or even, uh, you know, maybe producing services that can facilitate the druids mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a market. Yes. <laughs> I mean, something that Keith just said, I, I think really sparked in me was just, and we were talking about government before. There's no government here. Yes, it's covered by the Treaty of Thronehold. Yes, it's supposed to be those laws. But here you've got this kind of open market. And if you don't piss off the Warden of the Woods, or somehow make an alliance with them, I can see House Fidalis sort of getting away with a few other things. Now, obviously, Imogen, you did mention, you know, there's a sort of quiet, quiet alliance between House Fidalis and Ondare. And I think it kind of gives, as for, from a player character point of view, it says, I, I'm, a, I'm House Fidalis, I'm a spy for Ondare, but House Fidalis wants to create uh, a, an alliance with the Warden of Woods and kind of give him some land, give him some area, or you know, learn druidic, you know, more druidic magic and more ancient magic from them. Um, that's just that gives you a lot of potential for a player character. It gives you a lot of places, obviously, to get pulled. Um, but it makes it really, really interesting because it it it's it's not it's from a political side, from a sort of machination side, from an intrigue side. It gives mm-hmm. you a lot of stuff to play with. Yeah, yeah, you know. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's, there's some opportunity to, to explore, you know, archetypes that you might not be able to explore, say, in Sharn, for example, mm-hmm. um, or in, you know, any of the other cities or more metropolis-like like regions. Um, you know, often it's, it might be hard for, t- you know, typically for people to figure out, well, where do I put a barbarian? How do they fit in? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Reaches is a great place for that, you know. Um, and they don't have to be the crazy, like, you know, frothing at the mouth, like, you know, <laughs> raging barbarian. It's just somebody who maybe has a, a different concept, very much like Conan, a very, very different right. concept of what's civil, right? Um, you know, and, and, 
and sort of expressing that version of it in, I, out there. I really like shifter barbarians as well, uh, mm-hmm. in part because to me, you can flavor some of the barbarian abilities almost as more of just a secondary factor of shifting. Uh, you know, it's, it's drawing on your bestial aspects rather than again, rage, uh, as a sort of full on thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but certainly playing to that is, is barbarian in the sense of drawing on a surge of primal strength, as it were, as opposed to savage and violent. Right. Right. Yeah. That physicality, that sort of, that, yeah, like you said, that more primal, um, I don't know, demeanor, I guess. But yeah. it is an interesting point about Undare in general when you look to, as we said, the East and West, uh, of that point of the people who live in the deep woods, the wandering shifter tribes, don't want to embrace the traditions of the farmlands. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Elding Reaches is a place for that character from a culture who basically doesn't think much of your fancy civilization. Right. You know, and so especially looking to the outlander or the hermit, uh, you know, it's definitely a place where you can, you can wander that. That is in a sense where some of the druid groups can come in mm-hmm. of why have you left the deep woods and having a tie to one of the, the druidic paths, even if you're not a druid and, you know, having been sent with a mission or with a purpose uh, is an easy hook for why are you an adventurer? Right. Mm. Yeah. What drew you out? And uh, yeah, that, I mean, that itself could be the the core of the campaign. Right? What's that? What's that thing? Yeah. And, mm. and likewise, it goes to shifters. If you're playing mm-hmm. shifters, you know, the, the bulk of shifters come from the Elding Reaches. But it's that big difference between are you a shifter from the deep wood uh, you know, part of a, a wandering tribe who you may be the first person in your tribe to leave the wood, uh, or, and in, the, in that case, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could be from one of the farmland communities where, uh, you know, you have settled. How many generations have your people been there? Uh, you know, how and why have you chosen to integrate uh, with civilization? And is that something that's been a struggle in some way? Right. I think, um, and this goes for any region or any nation, um, but because, in, in particular, because of the fact that uh, Dare or Elding Reaches seceded from Dare, I think there is that component of like, what did you do during the last war? Oh, for sure. That's what a side huge component. Like, where, yeah, what, how did that affect you? How did that affect your family? Just like in any, you know, with any character, but in particular, I think that secession and, 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 you know, the events that occurred as part of that, I think, could play a really significant part of your of your character and its backstory. Yeah, and one last last point I'd certainly drop in is because we called it out before with the Twilight Domain, is the Elding Reaches is an excellent place to have a character whose story is in some way touched by the Fae. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to play a literal changeling who wandered into the woods and found yourself in Thelanus for 20 years, uh, or you want to play a warlock with an archfey patron, you know, one option is to be an actual green singer, whether you're a bard or a druid or a warlock. Uh, another option is just still to say that I encountered the fey, uh, you know, sort of in my wandering into the woods. Yeah. 
Imogen, do you have anything you want to add? I, th- I think we're kind of wrapping up here, but uh, yeah, we'll give you an opportunity. I, yeah. I just had um, uh, one thought, something Keith just mentioned then, is, is the, the, the wandering into uh, uh, Thalana's manifesto. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of, um, I think it was maybe a Sean Inquisitive article from, from way back, uh, telling a story about a platoon of mm-hmm. Five Nation soldiers who wander into the woods and they're never seen again. And then, um, you know, 30, 40 years later, they wander out and everything's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's quite a fun uh, kind of hook to hang a character on, um, mm-hmm. the sort of future time travel uh, thing. Um, and especially with the Eldine Reaches where the, the, the sort of um, core assumptions of, of what it means to be from the Eldine Reaches have changed so much in the last few years, um, especially in the, the east of the country, I suppose, more mm-hmm. than in the, the woods themselves. So, no, I think yeah. that's a fascinating mm-hmm. idea. First, as a as a sort of theme for a party of adventurers, it takes the, in a way, it's an interesting twist on using Seer as, uh, you know, your adventurers because uh, you, um, you know, your country is gone. Well, here's a weird way to say you're out of time and your country became the Eldine Reaches. And how do you feel about that? Right. right. Yeah. Wayne? Yeah. And just kind of sum up everything. It's, it's, this seems like a, an area where, like, we're talking about change and we're talking about last war. It, it seems very far away from that. But I guess, in a way, change comes to everything. Um, to characters, to whatever, you know, Imogen saying, you know, stepping out of time and, and coming back, um, the last war. And I guess, in a way, that kind of brings up our next topic about change. And um, we do have a, a little bit of a, 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 I guess we ha- do have a little bit of a change. You know, Imogen is, is uh, has come on board and uh, welcome welcome to her. Obviously, um, everybody in the community, you know, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome her to the, yes, the, the broadcast. Yes. <laughs> Um, but we also have uh, something else, uh, another change to announce today. So, yeah. So uh, so before we sign off, uh, listeners should know that Imogen's inaugural episode coincides with another announcement. And that is that I am officially retiring as a co-host of Manifest Zone. Uh, there's several reasons for this. None of them are bitter or negative in any way at all. Uh, but the most significant reason is that I've uh, rebranded my personal RPG blog, uh, The Immaterial Plane, uh, as an official Savage Worlds licensee. Uh, it's a new publishing endeavor I'm embarking upon with my partner, Jen. And not to be confused with Keith's Jen. They're two <laughs> different people. <laughs> uh, and before anyone asks, no, Eberron for Savage Worlds has not been officially licensed. That's not a thing. It's not going to happen, but it still exists. Um, but... Uh, it, and, and it does actually exist as one of our products uh, under the Savage Worlds fan license. Um, but I'm going to be spending more of my time working on content that we'll be designing for Savage Worlds. So it's kind of one of those things where it's I just got to kind of focus my energy a little bit more in that space. Um, but I do want to say uh, to everyone that my time with Manifestone has been only amazing, to say the least. Um, it's been an honor and a delight to have been a part of this. Um, and to all of our listeners, you're the ones who made this little project so worthwhile. Um, the enthusiasm, the praise for our show was far more than I could have ever anticipated. 
to Keith and Wayne, thank you both for having joined me on this endeavor. Words cannot express how fondly I regard our friendship. And to Imogen, I am so glad to have had the chance to do this episode with you. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing your voice, both literally and figuratively uh, on future episodes. So thank you for <laughs> joining us or joining them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just have to, to say thank you so much for, you know, this this wouldn't exist without you. You are mm -hmm. the... <laughs> The voice of Manifest Zone, and Thank we you. will try our best, uh, but none of us can <laughs> certainly match you. <laughs> Thank and, you so much. Uh, just again, this wouldn't exist without you. Thank you so much for uh, bringing me into it. Yeah, and no, that was a huge thing. Like, just <laughs> that email. <laughs> was a shot in the dark and I had no idea if you were going to say yes. Um, so thank you for saying and, yes. And it has yeah. definitely been uh, an honor and a pleasure uh, to share so many conversations with you. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. And I, ju I just wanted to add on to that um, as someone who's, you know, stepping in now, having, having been on uh, sort of the listener side of, of this podcast for, um, oh, how many has it been? Like 30 episodes now. Um, <laughs> Christian, you've been an amazing host, and I'm sure I'm far from alone in the in, in the listener community from saying we'll be sad to see you go. Um, but good luck with everything. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure it'll be amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm going to cry. <laughs> That's so sad. Um, I guess for me, um, Wait. Christian and I first sort of uh, start talking um, we talked about gaming and BS. I, I kind of through there, through that community. Um, I had Christian on, on my podcast from a long time ago talking about Sharn, talking about Eberron. And, uh, Christian had just finished one of his podcasts, uh, at that time. And, um, he came up with this idea, said, Hey, why don't we, uh, I, I'm not doing a podcast right now. Why don't we do a podcast about Eberron? And let me, uh, you know, let me, let me reach out to, to Keith, um, at that, um, at that point and uh and we said okay yeah sure i mean he, he created it and uh i actually do credit christian um for um keith and I, my friendship because I, I didn't really know keith. i i knew of keith but i didn't know keith um oh. before all this started so um really very honestly bottom of our hearts I, and i know everybody here is um this this show will this is this is going to be a very different show without him on. Um, you guys know I, I I make fun of he uh, of Christian and I <laughs> I poke fun at him, but uh, uh, he's been an amazing friend. Um, you know, and he's not going anywhere. He's still going to be in the community. He's still going to be around. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, you know when when you know when that big project comes up, we're going to have him on the show. We're going to talk about stuff. Um, but uh, without him, um, this would not have happened. This would not have been possible. Um, we wouldn't have the show like this. Um, we are going to miss his voice. I cannot do um, Christian sexy voice Serrano. Neither can Keith. Neither can Imogen. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, we keep joking. I'm going to end up uh, having uh, Christian um, record, you know, exploring Eberron. Uh, it's going to be a six-hour show. Book. But um, uh, Christian, thank you very much. Um, it has been an honor and a pleasure um, to, to be your co-host, uh, of course, to be your friend. And, um, you know, the best from us, from the entire community to you 
And uh, everybody, you know, stay tuned to his his blog. Um, stay tuned to see what he's doing. Um, it's gonna be great. It's it's yeah. Those are uh, it's gonna have to be great now. Thanks. <laughs> so thank you, Wayne. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. So, uh, and, and, you know, finally, uh, I don't want to say goodbye to the listeners cause I'll still be in the community as Wayne said. So, um, but, uh, with that Imogen, would you do the honors of signing us off? Of course, of course. Um, so thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone, uh, where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode and find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Um, whatever option you prefer, let us know what you think of the show. Um, so join us next week as we cross over the shadow cracks and venture into the labyrinth of the demon wastes. And until next time, keep exploring.